et Pernt on siis sakslanaga väga pikalt mitukümmende aastat elanud mehikus ja on päris sellisest väga pika aegs metsanduse traditsiooniks sugugasest Saksamaal ja taastanud mehikus ka siis viimase 40 aasta jooksul Jukantani viirkonnas Vihma metsa elab seal koos Maija Indiaanlastega taastanud ka ispaanlaste eelsed Maija külad ja ta sattus Eestisse niimoodi sel suvel et ta on maailma ühe ühe sellise siis ka sõelda hinnatuma permakultuuri õpetaja Albert Peitsi sõber koos töötanud ja suvel korraldasime õkkukülade liikumise rahvusvahelise konverentsi ja enne seda toimus ka siis õkosüsteemide taastamisele suunatud permakultuuri kursus ja Albert Peits kutsus siis oma sõbra kaasa seda kursus läbi viima ja siis tal oli ka seal konverentsi ajal üks metsa teemaline eraldi töötuba ja Ja Eestisse tagasi sai ta praegu kutsutud tegelikult lõppkokkuvõttes enese keskselt Eesti metsa teema pärast võiks mina öelda on see põhjus, miks me ta siit tagasi kutsusime. Ja ka tal on nädalavaadsel pikem kursus, sinna on tulemas ka Leedust üks inimene. Ka siis Naberriikides on teemaga ka sarnased nii, et... Ja ilmselt see novembri aeg ei soodusta seda Naberriikides tulemist, sest sealt oli rohkemgi huvi, et info läks tegelikult igale poolis ja Läänemere ümber. Thank you, Abi. German last name is so different, difficult to pronounce that everybody invite, invents a new name for me. And the interesting thing is that I, I discovered what my last name means. Um, intuitively, many people translated it correctly without understanding. So, translating is one of my topics. It's Neugebauer which is <coughs> Anglo-Saxon, the old word neighbor, neighbor. Um, a neighbor is the one who comes from the forest to establish a community. And uh, my life is dedicated to establishing communities. And I'm a forester, originally. I come from an old forest family. And my grandfather's grandfather started the first commercial tree nursery in the world and outside of Hamburg in Germany and they were instrumental for reforesting most of Central Europe. All the other big commercial nurseries were trained there. All the big pine forests you see between Germany and the Baltics, uh, the Polish big forest areas, all that was created through my family over the past 170 years, more or less. So I grew up as a tree, really, because uh, we had a house out in the fields. My grandfather, at that time, he still managed up to 700 people, 14 uh, couples of draft horses, and the whole thing was big organic operation, beautiful organic operation, producing, in the average, something between 25 and 35 million trees per year. And... Um, that was my life. Um, after I had spent the first five, six years in that environment, here, trees and soil and the workers and their fires and their breakfasts out in the fields and so on, that was my, my upbringing. Um, then there was a big crisis because industrialization had gained a strong dynamic and people did not want 
to get their hands dirty anymore industry paid so well. So while for all the weeding and the management of the trees, my grandfather had needed up to 700 people. Now all of a sudden, he couldn't find those people anymore. They started carrying them in over long distances. They became more and more difficult and nobody knew what to do. And my father had heard about herbicides. And at that time, there was still an old Nazi law um, in Germany. Everybody talks badly about the Nazis, but nobody ever says that they were very organically oriented. And there was a law that you could never use any poison in agriculture, which makes a lot of sense. So my father had to smuggle the first herbicides from England into Europe. And then he became the pioneer, and he saved the business by using herbicides. And now the herbicides were so good that nobody thought about the consequences. And I was a little boy playing in the fields and going to school on a bicycle while they were spraying, and nobody cared about it. And I became the sickest child in school. Very, very sick. Nobody thought what the origin could be. I was just a weak boy. So it took me many years to go through that, survive, and find out what it was. It was only after I left the family that I, I found out. And then, obviously, the question that arose was not only about what is medicine, how do we deal with medicine and health, but especially uh, how does that relate to forestry? How does that relate to trees? And when they asked me to take over the business, I said, no, uh, very certainly not. That is not the kind of forestry I want to support. I want to support in the future. And I would dedicate my life to finding out what the new kind of forestry could be. And it's ever since, it's been a long voyage, long learning. Um, <laughs> you all know forestry started in in Germany, the academic forestry, the whole technical concept was all developed in Germany. Uh, it never considered the identities of forest practitioners in other areas, but there were forests around the world and obviously there had been other civilizations dealing with forestry, so I went into learning from them. Today I live in a rainforest. I live in a little Mayan cabin. I built my own forest. I went to a devastated forest area, uh, replanted forest. I now have the uh, highest and biggest mahogany trees in Yucatan, in the state of Yucatan. And I planted them myself. And uh, they are already higher than all the, the highest natural forest that is left because everything was destroyed. And the whole endeavor is about finding ways to implement the new kind of forestry. I'm very happy to see such an interdisciplinary audience here. For many years I taught at universities. Uh, I was considered the father of integrative work in forestry. I was for, some considered me like representing agroforestry, a term I never liked, but. Those were the first intents to, to try to break the borders, the limits of, of the traditional forestry. It, but I think we have to break them completely. We have to go into language issues. Language is a very important aspect when we look at what 
forestry is and how it is perceived nowadays. We have to look into the sociology. I was really happy to hear that. Nowadays, I deal with city planning and the relationship between city planning and forest management. Um, we have to ask ourselves, what all is forest? To me, forest is a kind of intelligence. And this kind of intelligence exists on the land, it, it exists <coughs> in the seas, in the waters, in the marshlands, in the peatlands, and whatsoever. Really, there's hardly anything within the living world where complexity was able to develop, to fully develop, that could not be considered for, uh, a forest, because the forest is the highest developed logic in the management of complex systems. Society has grown to become highly complex, and we are seeing all over the world now that we have difficulties dealing with this complexity. We have built it on reductionist approaches, we have built it on dissecting the science and the administration and so on, and now all of a sudden we see that <coughs> while it was useful for a while <coughs> to be a reductionist and look at the parts to understand what we could understand, we cannot easily just recompose the parts. There is more to the forest, there is more to complexity than just trying to reconnect the little parts. Yeah? So the big question is really what normal people call uh, the phenomenon that the forest is more than the sum of the trees. So my question is, what is the more? What defines the more? What makes the forest more than the sum of the trees? Um, Ave sort of surprised me with this talk and with the topic. Uh, thank you, Mikado. The topic here. Uh, uh, I, I like people inventing topics because you know, I'm alone in the rainforest, I have my own ideas, and the only thing I'm missing sometimes is uh, people to discuss with, uh, to share, and uh, to bring up new, new quests. And uh, a new formulation of the topic is a wonderful quest to deal with. So this morning I thought, oof, I'm not prepared at all. But in reality, <laughs> uh, the topic is very much down to what we need to talk about. So, how was it? Uh, forest and money hugger? No, forest and money huggers, or forest fo forestry for money huggers? Mm, how to explain forest to the money huggers? Ah, how to explain forest to the money huggers. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll try. Um, my organization, I have several <coughs> organizations I had. Well, maybe a little bit about how I, I came into this. Um, I don't know what I was saying. I, didn't. I went to, I followed a, a call by a indigenous peoples and, and a uh, Latin American poet who, to my understanding, was the best to analyze what had really happened during the past few hundred centuries. And he brought me on the track when I asked him, say, with all the marvels you described about Latin America and about this big continent, why then do they say that the Mayans collapsed? And nowadays you have tourists from all over the world going to visit big Mayan city ruins and so on. But when you ask, well, what is this all about? Then you hear the story of a collapse. And somehow it didn't make sense to me 
I think to many people it doesn't make sense. So uh, I had already asked that man many, many questions. I think he was a bit tired of my questions. And when I did that question, he said, I think it's up to you to go and find out. And I'm still occupied with that question. But we've come very far. Uh, it's taken 40 years, but uh, 40 years ago I traveled for the first time to Mexico. I was a geneticist. I was, a, well, I was lucky to still study in, in Germany at the university when you could do it's a studio generale. Uh, I did medicine, economics, natural sciences, and forestry, um, which was really what I liked about the university to connect all these and look into all these lectures. At that time, it was not so. For some people, it was common that a translator would go to a forestry place or sociology, but usually it was all segmented. Now, the, but you could do it. I could register for Studio, studio Generale, and I was allowed to officially study everything. Nowadays, that is, as young people tell me, it's basically forbidden in Germany. You have to, you have to adhere to administrative rules and so on big part of the problem. So I came there and I was a geneticist. I had learned with the first German researcher in cancerology. And uh, I had specialized on some laboratory techniques, uh, even though that was not really my main interest, but I thought I should really learn about these things. And then I had, didn't, um, I had asked for a topic to write a thesis using my genetic geneticist knowledge. And they had told me about a big crisis of the forests in Latin America. A beetle was moving from southern South America up to the north, destroying all the pine forests. Dendroctonus, uh, one of those bark-eating beetles that can make whole forests collapse. And they said, well, there Nobody knows what to do, all the scientists are without a clue to it, and we believe there could be a clue in the genetics of these pines, and you are the one to find out. I said, wonderful. It seems like I learned something useful at the university. So I went to Mexico, and I, s I learned Spanish very quickly, and I gave a talk to the forest administration and told them how my genetic knowledge, geneticist knowledge, could be applied to save their forests. And they loved it, and they opened all their doors, and so on, and it was wonderful, because there is no better way to know a country but to go and visit one forester after the other, because they all take you into the forest and into the villages, and it was wonderful. Afterwards, I said, that was the best kind of tourism I could ever have invented. But the scientific conclusion was that my geneticist knowledge would not help me at all to solve any of the problems that were the real problems, not at all. Uh, I will go a little deeper into that one because I think it's, it's a helpful experience. I was lucky I had very good teachers at the university and I, I did write my thesis, I had to finish my thesis on the genetics of the genus Pinus. Uh, Mexico is the cradle of pine trees, 80 species of pine trees in Mexico. In uh, Estonia, I suppose you have two species. One. Only one? Only one. Okay. Um, so imagine 80 species. 
very interesting. Ecologically, it was just wow. After a while, I was able to travel through the country, through the mountains, and I was able to determine the exact altitude of where I was by looking at the pine trees. If they all respond to different altitudes. I could determine the ecological zones by looking at the needles or the bark. Very interesting. And then I did my study on hybridization of pine trees of 80 species. And I got stuck, I got hung up in the laboratory for such a long time. It was the first time we ever did isoenzymes analysis. I was able as a student to build my own laboratory. And, and then I studied and studied and in the end said, oh, this has already become a PhD. This is not, you know, this is endless. What do I do? And I asked to see the professor, who I had never talked to about this. And, uh, and uh, he was one of those real scientific brains that you never see. He was living like in a little scientific cave behind many, many bookshelves with an espresso machine. He was very <laughs> avant-garde at that time. I was amazed he had an espresso machine. And then I came in there and said, sorry, I, I need your help. I'm lost. I don't know where this leads me. And he asked me a few questions. And then he said, well, tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. What? Yeah, 10 o'clock. I wait for him. Yeah. Uh, and then every morning, 10 o'clock. It sounded like going to the doctor. <laughs> so he helped me for one month to write my thesis together with me. And it was my learning experience in science. And he took everything I had found for series and he helped me analyze. And the result was a thesis where I questioned the whole uh, system of species definition. And he allowed me to publish a professional thesis with a criticism of our perception of uh, taxonomy. Because I could not answer the question because the answer to the question of hybridization was limited by the structure of the taxonomy. That was the first brain in Germany to do real cancerology research and he understood he had learned what cancer is. He was able to look at science from that point of view. When we look at forestry, at what forestry is nowadays, it is more or less the same thing. We think in forestry terms as if that was a reality, but in reality forestry is but a structure that was imposed on our thinking, on our world, on our reality, that makes us see those trees and environments and ecosystems out there in a certain way, within that framing, within that structure. And that is the biggest limitation we have to overcome. Because within that structure, certain things are possible and other things are not possible. And sometimes a structure can be useful, but it can be a big hindrance. So that motivated me to return to Mexico and say, well, who has a different structure? Where is a different frame? And I found the Mayans. I said, maybe the question about 
finding out why the Mayans collapsed could be combined with the question, well, how did a different civilization structure their relationship with nature, with the forest, and what kind of forestry comes out of that? So that's my topic. Uh, I'll show you a few pictures. I've improvised a few. Uh, the environment where I live, I, I went to a disturbed, well, destroyed rainforest environment, uh, bought the land in the early 80s, and uh, then I started recreating rainforest. This is, these are old uh, pictures. I work with uh, new rainforest structures. This is, we are in a semi-deciduous forest area, so there are times when our rainforest have little leaves and you can take photos. When I show you photos of the rainforest inside, I'm not a good photographer, it's, it's all dark and all green and you don't see so much. Uh, I work with bamboo, I work in a very special environment of rocks, I'll come back to that, and I work in the re-establishment of pre-Hispanic Mayan structures. I reconstruct a Mayan village that is probably over 2,000 years old. We have no idea how much older it is. It is the first and only Mayan village reconstruction that was ever started. So I am what you could call an action researcher or an intuitive researcher. This has nothing to do with structured scientific research as it is usually um, determined in our scientific world, uh, it is a kind of research that goes directly into the holistic perception of the whole, of complexity. The underground in Yucatan, it's a karst environment, it's a very unique environment. Uh, there is no water on top, everything sinks down to one of the biggest sweet water reserves of the world below the plateau of the peninsula of Yucatan. There are tremendous caves. On my land, for example, I'm more inland. I'm in the center of Yucatan. I forgot to bring a map, but I just bore a well, and the well is 62 meters, and then at 62 meters, we have 13 meters of water. That's a normal depth for the underground, for the groundwater uh, aquifer. Is that a, an English word, aquifer? Uh, productivity is high when you have enough soil, but soil on a karst environment is rather scarce and soil is always mixed with a lot of rocks. And when you mistreat the environment, that's what you get. This is a common site. This is the destroyed, deforested rainforest in Yucatan. Well, one of the worst aspects, but much of the, much of the peninsula goes into this direction. So this happens like a few years after deforestation. Like if the trees are taken away, the soil will... Well, you have to continue the destructive process, because mm -hmm. when you... Uh, on, on limestone, productivity is so high that when you cut down the forest and you leave it alone, then it's very quickly covered by vegetation, and then it will some of the soil will be rescued. Mm -hmm. and the natural restoration of the environment will start quite quickly. But then people go and cut it over and over and over again, and then in the end you would get this. Yeah. This is very close to where I live. 
Uh, to describe a little more what I'm doing, uh, I, I said I'm now dealing with uh, city planning. Uh, there are many who are nowadays very concerned about what's happening. We are losing the whole forest environment. We are concentrating people in the big cities. The cities grow pro progressively and it, is it has become obvious that one day neither the cities nor the environment can be maintained this way. So uh, the first initiatives come from where people are, and that's from the cities, and they say, hey, we need different cities. And uh, so this is one model of a new city. It is. Uh, this was done in cooperation with one of the biggest architect architecture firms in the world. It's become a big topic. I'm now working with a group of 250 designers who are dedicated to creating new cities that would be compatible with the environment. The new Mexican president who will come into office in, on December 1st just uh, created a task force that will define new cities and a different relationship of those cities with the environment. The topic is up in the air. So we're not talking about uh, forestry alone anymore. We are talking about really a different relationship between our society, I would call that the human forest, and the natural forest out there. And we will see later that the rules that we can apply to both of them, very similar, maybe even identical. Um, I was asked for one of the assignments that I work for, I was asked to relate all that to the United Nations <coughs> Development Goals, uh, which are these. And uh, I just put them there for one reason. The development goals are, again, a result of our dissecting society. You know, it's, uh, I don't think they are useful. I believe that we need an approach to managing transformation of complexity and not solving symptoms and little problems in little uh, cut areas of, of our society. We have to dedicate to the whole. Now, we have never been uh, educated to deal with complexity. Our school system and everything does the opposite. What is complexity? How do we relate? The organization I created, Vital Village, uses this symbol. It's a 